have the Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roller with us today, Adam Rank. How are you doing, Rank? You um, look great in person, and I uh, just can't wait to next year where we can pack it full of 25000 How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guy's day. It was me and Rank. I mean, how do you live? This is the Dynasty Vipers Viper Cast. Hello, and welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Viper Cast. This is episode 129. And coming at you today, we've got Major here. We've got Tara coming back. Uh, we've got the king himself, Scott Angle. How are you doing, Scott? Good. Thanks for having me. That might be the coolest open I've ever been involved with. <laughs> you know what? I can't even take credit for that. We've got people that put that kind of stuff on together. I'm just a talking head when it's all said and done, so there's a lot more smarter people than I am, like Major and Tara here, and then we've got our graphics team doing the little stuff behind the scenes there. So, hey, one to another. I mean, you've been around. You've seen some things. ESPN. I mean, Roto Baller. I mean, we can go on and on about these other the game day there. All these other organizations and publications that you've worked for. You've seen some pretty good people do some pretty good things in your time. I imagine. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I've been in the fantasy industry since the first boom in the the mid nineteen nineties. With uh, starting out with CBS Sportsline, I was like one of the actual the the first. I was the first fantasy content guy ever over there before it was even even CBS Sportsline, but it was Sportsline USA before CBS even got a piece of it. Now I'm at the game day uh, doing a lot of fantasy content over there, sports betting content, because, you know, that's where the industry is going now and it being legalized in so many states. But it, it's it's been it's been a really fun ride. You know, I've got gotten to work with a lot of good people and, uh, you know, I, I – Career-wise, I probably wouldn't trade the experience for anything. <laughs> well, speaking of good people, the Dynasty Vipers Viper cast is presented to you by the Fantasy Points Media Group. There are some guys over there that have been around as well. John Hanson, another one of those guys. There, there's very few. There's like that Mount Rushmore of fantasy analysis there. There's yourself. There's John Hanson. There's guys like Paul Charchi and Bob Harris. You guys have been around for some time, and we're going to get into this story, your story in particular, a little bit later on the behind the grind aspect of things here. But first, we want to kind of dive into maybe a little bit of something more relevant right now for those who are looking for that kind of fantasy tidbit of information. How about the Kings Dynasty Fantasy Football Value Targets for Startup Drafts? Who are some of those guys that you're targeting right now? Yeah, that's my uh, newest article over at rotobowler.com. Thanks a lot. You know, uh, specifically, but for any any platform like for the fantasy football players championship, which where I'm doing two slow dynasty drafts right now. And I identify players at like every level of the value tree. Like right now, Dalvin cook has a, a dynasty ADP of 37.75 because I believe that dynasty players like will look eight, 10 years down the line, but you want to win now so much changes within three to four years you know, Dalvin Cook's 27 years old. He could probably get another two good two to three years out of him. So I don't look at somebody being 27 years old and not, I, I think at 37.75 overall, I think that's a good value. Uh, also, Hassan Hankins at 274.17 in both my, my dynasty leagues. I have Derrick Henry 
uh, as my starting running back. He's going to be the obvious number two, I think. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster at 90.42 ADP. He's only 25 years old. He's got to prove it with the Chiefs this year, and I think he's automatically going to be that number one wide receiver. Uh, Jalen Tolbert of the Cowboys, 167.7 ADP. Uh, Michael Gallup doesn't stay healthy. Uh, Dak Prescott is a good downfield thrower. Also, Alan Lazard's very interesting at 174.7. No, nobody's really looking at Lazard and giving him any respect. But sometimes, and you know this from you know you, your foot, your guys' football experience, sometimes if, if a front office is comfortable going with a player, who are we as outsiders to basically say, okay, that's not going to work out well? If the Packers have confidence as a front office and Aaron Rodgers hasn't really busted out and saying, you know, I'm so upset that we haven't signed a notable wide receiver, uh, you know, no Beckham, no Jarvis Landry, you know, we didn't, we didn't try to, we, we didn't uh, try to make a trade for Tyreek Hill, etc. It seems like the Packers are comfortable going with Alan Lazard, so I think you have to take a crack on him not only in dynasty leagues but also in seasonal leagues. Because if the team's going to ticket him for a significant role, I think we have to pay attention to that. Because, you know, we all know our stuff. You mentioned some great people. But in an NFL front office, sometimes they know things or have certain angles that we might may not know or agree with. Right. So we're going to ask you about a little bit here, some of these other players potentially that were on that trade value chart. I mean, we got to talk about Cole Komet. I mean, he's basically the main guy on – you go click that link, it's Cole Komet that you're clicking on right there. You mentioned something I find very interesting. When we're looking at dynasty, uh, one of the things that lots of man uh, fantasy managers maybe don't do is look at that three-year kind of period. Stay in that three-year, kind of working in three-year intervals. And I think a lot of people, like you said there, are looking nine years down the road. Where's that value going to be nine years from now? Well, I can't even tell you what I'm doing next week, let alone what a bunch of NFL players are going to be doing in five, six, seven years. So I agree with you that, I mean, we have to focus on that three-year period of, production or how we uh, perceive that production to be here moving forward within a three-year period. I think anything beyond that, I think it's just, it's crazy. We, there's nothing guaranteed beyond today or tomorrow. So why are we looking at fantasy managers, especially in dynasty nine, 10 years down the road? Well, one point I have to make about that is, is for some reason, everybody has the age 30 marker in their head as for when everybody all of a sudden gets old. Yeah. Because that's an old fantasy football axiom about when running backs decline. So as soon as people hit age 28 in any position, people start devaluing them in dynasty. And that's, I think that's a mistake because you just want to look at that three to four year window. If you don't, if you don't want a 27 year old wide receiver who's in his prime, I think there's a problem. The late great Mike Taglieri uh, fantasy pros used to do an annual study that I mentioned in this Rotobull article about when fantasy football wide receivers actually age out in production, it's not till at least age 33. So if you're going to let a 28, 29, 30-year-old wide receiver drop down the board to me, can help me win this year, I'm going to do it. If you're going to let a 27-year-old running back drop down the board to me like Dalvin Cook, I'm going to do it. I'll worry about replacing him two, three years down the line because I'll, I'll kick that can down the road. Yeah. Tight ends, you know, that can vary. But with quarterbacks, I, I I would hear people saying things about like, oh, he's 33, he's old. Like, not for a quarterback. The, the age is different in every position. And 
sometimes in running back it's not just about being 30 it's more about tread on your tires you know you're you're, you're a historian matt look how look how quickly clinton portis was done before the age of 30 before workload and then tiki barber late in his career started becoming a, a, run, a running back full-time and played well after 30 so you can't just look at say age 30 and say oh i don't want that guy I, I had a conversation with a guy the other day and he said he said uh he said, oh, I, I, you know, I was looking at two players, and I took one over the other because one was 23 and the other was 26. And I, I said, Terry, that's not really much of a difference. For a 26-year-old wide receiver, I can get another six, seven years of good production. Right there. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say that's so funny that you say that because I see people kind of, you know, slightly, uh, slightly downgrading Terry McLaurin because he's a little bit older in that age gap of when he came into the NFL. So it's, it's, it's funny how people look at a 26 year old and think, nah, he's getting up there, but he's still got plenty of time left. He's, he's going to be 27 in September, which gives me seven, eight, nine, 32, at least, at least five more years of good production. And if you're looking down five years at, five years in production, you know, unless, you know, you have crystal ball or something, you know, you're not going to be able to tell. The, the state of your cha team changes so much from year to year. It's going to change so much from three years down the line. I look at my dynasty team from, from last year, and, you know, they, 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 there's already with, with a difference with some guy. Like I have T. Higgins on one of my dynasty rosters. The, the value is so much more appealing than it was than it was, uh, say, a year ago. You know, James Robinson, it's much lower than it was a year ago. I like that old adage there. We're talking, especially when we talk about rookie drafts and talk about that tread on the tires, because not all treads are created the same. You can go to Goodyear, get some good treads. You go to go Walmart, it looks new, but it ain't new. It's like not what you want, right? Walmart tires ain't the same as like Goodyear tires and vice versa. But Brian Robinson for me is one of those guys. We don't hear about he's older. He's already 23, 24 years old coming into the NFL this year, but he doesn't have that tread on the tires yet. He sat behind some good running backs between Najee Harris there at Alabama. He got his one opportunity this year. He produced, and the first thing we're talking about is A, his age, and B, he doesn't have any tread on his tires. It seems like rookies are like, oh, he's got too much tread, or he doesn't have enough tread on his tires. When we're coming out of this rookie process, as fantasy analysts, we can't seem to make up our mind what we want to value. Yeah, some some players will come out of college and they'll say, "Oh, he's an older rookie. I don't like him as much." Why? You know, it's <laughs> it, it, there's really no no. I haven't. I, I posed that question to a few people, and they're kind of stunned that I've asked it because I think there's a blanket. Oh, if he's an older rookie, I don't like him as much. Well, why? He still played very well in college. It's not like he's coming into the league at 35 years old. I don't understand. Uh, I'm sure somebody watching the show will explain it. We'll have a nice debate, but I, you know, age of ageism in fantasy football—it's it's a terrible thing. That's so true. I've never looked at it that way because I was one of those guys who did that to. Um, gosh, what's the running back from the Steelers right now? I did that to him the, the no, year ago. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's an older rookie. I don't so? know if I want him. But now that you said it that way, it's so I was so dumb. Like you, the way you explained I, wait, it, I didn't it, say so, that. Yeah. No, I'm just saying it's something so simple that you don't even think of. You just kind of, you know, go you, with. You get with kind of friend. into like we have these reflex things that we do as fantasy players over the years. You know, these axioms that we get tied to, exactly, etc. Et and look, at some point, everybody declines. But you know, I I think we can't overrate it either. 
So let's kind of kick back into this value targets here for your startup drafts real quick. Uh, just kind of give us a, a – you kind of mentioned Dalvin Cook there. You mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster. Who's that tight end? Is that Cole Komet? Is that that tight end that you're kind of valuing right now? Yeah, I, I have right. a few there in my, my new article on rotobowler.com. You know, Komet is, is, you know, he's heading into that third year, I believe, with, a, with an FFPC ADP of 123. And uh, really, you know, Darnell Mooney is in the number one. You know, they drafted Vilas Jones. They haven't given Justin Fields too much to work with, but uh, a young quarterback very often. That's not totally across the board. Will lean on his tight end, and these two guys are familiar with each other. Uh, I think Komet can e- easily be a top uh, top eight fantasy tight end this year. All right, so basically to, re- to recap the Knights at Scott the King's roundtable here, we've got Juju Smith-Schuster, we've got Alan Lazard, we've got Dalvin Cook, we've got Cole Komet, <laughs> we need anyone else? We got our, our Peoples Jones. Oh, that's one of my there guys. There we go. There's a little yeah. DPJ. Yeah, DPJ. I like him a lot. I know a lot of people are talking about Bell. You know, I like the skill set. But Donovan Peoples Jones, the FFP Dynasty ADP right now is two hundred three point zero eight, and we saw some real big play flashes from him last year. And now he's going to be playing with Deshaun Watson, and we all saw what Deshaun Watson could do with a deep receiver with Will Fuller. Donovan Peoples-Jones right now is one of my favorite sleepers of the year already. I'm right there with you. Um, but let's let's talk about another sleeper. Let's talk about Tua. Is he is a make or break? What's going on this year for him? Like, what what do you think? A lot. What a lot of what a lot of NFL teams are doing right now is, you guys know, at least half, more than half of the NFL teams don't have the the ideal situation of quarterback they want. They don't have their franchise quarterback. So what they're pivoting to doing is saying, okay. You see teams like Miami, the Jets, Seattle, Pittsburgh. Say, okay, well, let's surround our quarterback with as much playmaking talent as possible, and then all the pressure will not be on him to carry the offense. He can lean on the playmakers, and that's what they've done in Miami. They've given him four running backs. They gave him Tyree Kill. He's got Jalen Waddell. They now have Cedric Wilson there as well. Mike Kosicki. Hasn't been as good as we wanted to, but still, there's a lot of playmaking talent around Tua. There's got there's everything for him to succeed right now, I think, and put up some respectable fantasy numbers. Yeah, he has like a hundred running backs to choose from as well, so they they're stacking the cards for him. Um, what do you think about Tyreek in in that in that new role over there in Miami? Uh, you know, obviously, it's not like playing with Mahomes, but. As long as Tua can get him the ball, he can do so much for him. It's, you know, it was the perfect compliment, obviously, with Mahomes because Mahomes can get him deep. Uh, obviously, Tua doesn't have the same deep arm, but if he gets him the ball, he'll can still make a lot of things happen after the catch. Uh, obviously, you bump him down a few notches. Uh, no longer a late first round pick, but still a very high end fantasy wide receiver too this year. I think one of the things we've seen across the NFL are teams that may be unsure about a quarterback surrounding them with big t- big time players, a wide receiver, to give them that opportunity to see if this is our quarterback moving forward. But the one thing I want to point out with Tyreek Hill, Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes were not really a deep threat team last year. They could go deep, but a lot of those catches Tyreek was making were underneath in which you get those big yak yards. Now, I'm no filmographer, so I probably will never be the Miami Dolphins film guy, but 
Yes, sure, to a tongue of a that he underthrew Tyreek Hill, and that's the video that we all see go viral. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to be a problem when it comes to this Miami Dolphins offense here because we might joke about uh, Tua's arm being a little bit less than average or whatever you want to go with it there. Maybe he's not driving the ball, still kind of recovering from that hip injury back in college, but they don't need to to be an explosive offense. No, but there was always the threat of Hill just catching a bomb. Which made it it more dangerous to be less of a threat in Miami. If he's still recovered from the hip injury, I think that's that's a big issue. They better get a new doctor in Miami. But if you want to be a Dolphins filmographer, you know, you have to start with watching films of 1972. Because unfortunately, (laughs) I think that's the last time the Dolphins were a good team. Throwing shots over here. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, let's keep it on this trend with uh, teams that are now, you know, in interesting quarterback situations, but a lot of talent around them in terms of receivers and running backs. Um, what about the Seahawks? Any predictions for where they're heading? Um, are we are we actually going to see Drew Locke at quarterback? And then we've got Geno Smith there as well. We've got the running back situation where we've got Kenneth Walker coming in. Rashad Penny looked pretty good. Um, how do you how do you see things panning out for that? Uh. You know, it's going to be a battle between Locke and Geno Smith. Uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider had their eye on Locke as, you know, when he was coming out with the 2019 draft class. So they're hoping a change of scenery will help, uh, and they'll see what happens. Because you know, the year before Russell Wilson was drafted in 2011, uh, the Seahawks had Marshawn Lynch, they had the Legion of Boom, and they had Tavares Jackson and you know, may he rest in peace, and uh, and uh, Charlie Whitehurst, the quarterback. And they were willing to do that and see if either emerged. And when it didn't, they signed Matt Flynn. They drafted Russell Wilson. And Locke is on a one-year deal. And I think to say, okay, here's your opportunity. We're surrounding you with a lot of talent. Show it. This is your chance. So, you know, if that doesn't work, Geno Smith, they're hoping he can be a good caretaker of the offense. I'm excited at running back, although – it's kind of a fantasy logjam in a way. Penny was the best running back in the NFL in fantasy football the final six weeks. I believe that, you know, Carroll always wanted to have a one-two punch with him and Chris Carson that never materialized because they were never healthy at the same time. Kenneth Walker just jumps off the film at me. He's so dynamic. He's the best pure runner in this draft. He's got vision. He's got balance. He makes people miss in short space. Juke. Cut back, takes off when he hits the second level, has gears. If Penny and Walker can stay healthy, maybe only the Browns have a case for having a better running back duo in the NFL. And that really helps the quarterback. And then you still have DK Metcalf. You still have Tyler Lockett. Uh, Obviously, their fantasy numbers are going to take a hit. Obviously, Lockett, because of the tremendous chemistry that he had with Russell Wilson. Can Noah Phantom urge it? I think there's a lot hinging on the, the real wild card here, and I'm, I'm writing an upcoming article about the betting odds for the Seahawks, and I talk about this on the game day. Uh, Locke is the real wild card. I think everybody just assumes that he's going to stink, and I don't think we can necessarily assume that. I know he had a bad year last year, but look how Ryan Tannehill turned his career around when he left Miami. You know, different dynamics, but still. You know, maybe a change of scenery and starting over here can help Drew Locke, you know, that's the optimistic approach. If not, you know, this is a transitional year. And by 2023, I think 
you know, this is a transitional year where they're putting a lot of things in place eventually contend in the Carroll sort of view. You know, they have a strong running game. They drafted two offensive tackles that proving the line finally. And they have two bleak play wide receivers. People say, oh, Wilson got traded. Metcalf's next. You know, they never had any intention of trading Metcalf. He's more – I could be wrong. Look, they could trade him this offseason. But I don't think they will. Uh, it looks like they want to keep him in Lockett. There were trade rumors surrounding both. Neither turned out to have any smoke around them. So I think it's going to be interesting at running back because, unfortunately, if Penny can't stay healthy again, Kenneth Walker could have a ton of fantasy upside as a rookie. Otherwise, I think it'll be 60-40 split, probably with Penny leading the way. Fantasy players don't want to see that, but there's not that many uh, running backs that totally dominate the carries in the NFL. So if you draft both, like say if you take Penny in the fourth and Walker in the sixth, you, you have that backfield on lockdown especially in a best ball league. Yeah, you're just speaking like a true fan when I heard you saying that Drew Locke can have have the career switch like uh like Tannehill did. I think that's more your your heart talking there, man. Like how well, does well, what, what I'm saying is is that what I'm saying is we can't 100% assume that he's going to fail. I hear you. I, I realize <laughs> that everybody including yourself and I'm not, I'm not predicting, you know, that he's going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback or anything like that. What I'm saying is he does have talent. He can throw a good downfield pass. He's got two very good downfield wide receivers. Here's his chance to try and turn it around. If not, he's on a one-year deal, and it, it could possibly be over. I think, you know, respectfully, Major, you know, that's what everybody assumes he's going to be bad. Right. If I had to bet whether it's going to work out, yes or no, I'm going to say – no, because, you know, I'm, I'm not talking with my heart. But what I'm saying is, is we don't know for sure. Again, we're going back to my earlier point. Why are Drew Locke and Pete Carroll taking a chance on this guy and didn't draft or acquire anybody else? That's something I have to keep into the back of my mind. He's probably never going to be a fantasy quarterback for me other than a super flex. But what happens if he returns out to be a respectable NFL starter? I don't think we could say 100% that's not going to happen. We could say 70, 75%, but I'm not saying we we always don't know for sure in fantasy. You know, the best fantasy experts are right about 55% of the time. Right. <laughs> well, it might not be over for Drew Locke yet, but it is certainly over for the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast in episode 129. So we're going to move along here for this show. Scott, thanks for joining us. But hey, if you're listening to us right now, if you're watching us on the YouTube, whatever the platform is that you got us on, Stick around because Behind the Grind with Scott Angle is coming up next, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into the history of fantasy football and how Scott kind of made that meteoric rise throughout the fantasy ranks way back when to where he is today. So thanks for <laughs> tuning in, and we will see you next time.